head like a plough blade, loping up the lane behind her father. Phoebe was ten at the time. They had just moved to the country, and Spot was the first animal her father purchased. Phoebe fed him, washed him in the dam, trimmed his mane and fringe, plaited his tail, and polished his hooves. She snuck him apples and confided in him, and every day Spot transported her to and from school. He had graciously accommodated Lilith when she started school too. She'd clung to Phoebe's waist while her small feet bounced against his ticklish flanks. Phoebe still rode him everywhere, astride and bareback. This is your fault, Phoebe, said Lilith. Of course it is, she replied. So is the recession and the drought. I'll get to church all red, wet and smelly, and we have a new vicar today. I haven't seen a rich, handsome vicar yet, Lilith. A vicar's wife is an admirable position to have in any community, Miss Pertinacious Fever, said her mother, slapping at a fly with her hanky. The ostrich feathers above her shifted like kelp. Maud always pinned far too much plumage to her hat. It's your father's fault, she continued. He should never have brought us here. She recoiled as a small beetle swam past. When Maud had stepped from the train onto the siding for the very first time 14 years ago, she had looked up at her new home in the surrounding countryside and declared, This is a wretched place! Lilith had been a sickly, whining four-year-old at the time, but Phoebe, at ten, liked the outcrop and the bay immediately. She relished helping her father establish the vineyard, and on her first day at school, she had made two best friends, Hadley and Henrietta Pearson. They would be at church now. A breeze skimmed through the dry heads of acres and acres of ripe wheat, and a distant sheep bleated. The crops were thin because of three dry years, and the air smelled of hot sun, of dust, and baking grain and manure. The Melbourne train was approaching the Bayview siding, a low square platform made from sleepers, and slowed down. The mailman leaned from the goods van, but no mailbag waited, so he waved his flag and the train whistled like a wailing child and accelerated away, curling a plume of black smoke across the foreshore. We're late, said Lilith, gathering her skirt higher. Sit still, said Maud. We'll sink and our bottoms will get wet. If we sink, mother, it will be because of your bottom, said Phoebe. Her mother opened her mouth, but the approaching clatter of steel-rimmed wheels silenced her. Phoebe turned and saw a slim four-wheel carriage coming along the lane. It was dark blue, with a golden O painted on the petite door and lacy golden steps. The driver, Mr. Titterton, was perched on a blue velvet bench high above two shining chestnut hackneys, 
and behind him, in the carriage, sat two well-dressed passengers. The Britzka, said Fieber. Not Mrs. Overton, moaned Lilith, sinking further under her hat brim. Maud stole a quick look and gasped. And Marius! No one had seen the Overton's son since the death of his wife seven months before. Lilith buried her face in her gloves. They may not notice us, said Maud hopefully. Mrs. Overton swung her parasol behind her to see who was sitting in the dam. Robert Krupp was sitting peacefully on the front veranda at Mount Hope, sipping a glass of last year's vintage and puffing on his pipe. Two pastimes his wife disapproved of, especially on Sunday.